I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I. Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to be part of this, his ministry. We're going to have a special guest tonight, Adam Domeyer. You're going to meet him in a minute, and his wife, Hannah. But uh, first things first, we invite any and all who are looking to uh, pursue the Lord in spirit and in truth no matter how hard the truth is to hear, to join us here in our studio church on Sundays at campus. 10 a.m. is milk, 2.30 is meat every Sunday. Now, we've called it campus, which is an acronym, uh, and that's how we're registered here as a church in the state of Utah. But uh, more and more, I'm more inclined just to refer it to as X. Because uh, I don't want to divide, I don't want to be denominational. I just, you know, words, especially acronyms, are pregnant with meaning, and uh, their meanings all mean different things to different people, so X is probably the best way to just identify ourselves, whatever, right? So we meet at 10, milk, we're going through the book of John, we meet at 2.30, meet, we're going through the book of Hebrews. Each gathering lasts about 75 minutes, with 45 to 50 of those minutes being used in a verse-by-verse -verse through the Bible teaching uh, by me, the sheepdog of the flock. Uh, we sing the word of God set to music and pray, and then we have a few minutes of silence. And then after that, we have a Q&A of the things that we've talked about. We open up the floor and people bring up questions and, uh, and concerns and every now and then storm out, things like that. Uh, if you are tired of playing church, of concerts, coffee house ambiance, petitions and pleas for money, legalisms, licentiousness, stuff like that, come check us out. It sounds arrogant. It's not intended to be. We simply want to do everything we can to help people realize the freedom that they have in the relationship with Christ, and additionally, the responsibility that comes with that freedom. It's, it's kind of a two-fold thing. So you can go to www.campus with hyphens there. I think there's a graphic on the screen for you as an address for directions and times. With that, take a look at this. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. 
go to www.hotm.tv and find out how you can obtain those. There's four CDs with all those verses that uh, put the Word of God set to music. That's what we sing here at campus. It's a great way to learn to memorize uh, verses. Uh, and some verses aren't easy, you know, but uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a great way. Well, Mormonism is, of course, back in the news. Take a look at this. Okay, we're going to turn now to a controversy inside the Mormon church. Officials threatening to expel two activists, one who's pushing for women priests, the other targeted for questioning church doctrine. ABC's Marcia Avocampo has the story. It's a shocking move by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which in recent years has worked to make itself appear more open and inclusive, including an advertising campaign highlighting its diverse membership. My husband, I'm a Mormon. Within the past week, the church sent two letters threatening disciplinary action on consecutive days. The first to John Dullin, known for his Mormon Stories podcast and who creates forums for those questioning their faith. The second to Kate Kelly, founder of Ordained Women, a year-old organization dedicated to shining a spotlight on gender inequality within the Mormon faith. Thank you so much for being here today. Kelly's letter comes nearly two months after she led hundreds of women in a March demonstration in Salt Lake City, asking to be admitted to a meeting reserved for members of the priesthood, which includes most male members of the church, 12 and older. She says the threat of excommunication is devastating. Well, we're going to see more and more of this. Uh, the, the LDS Church, of course, is coming out on their main doctrines and online they are renouncing uh, many of the main, not doctrines, but the controversial stances that they've taken, blacks in the priesthood, polygamy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're coming out and they're making these official proclamations and they're saying, we do not believe in this. And they're doing this because it's in preparation for um, uh, 2016, which is gonna be the next presidential election. And uh, we're going to see the white horse come riding in, who's going to be LDS in one way or another, and uh, probably taking, trying to take that position from whoever is going to be running on the other side. So we're going to see more and more of this. Well, with the recent church discipline of two outspoken members, namely this woman that was mentioned, Kate Kelly, who's the founder of a movement called Ordain Women. And then John Delenn, uh, founder of the online interview site known as Mormon Stories. 
ordained woman, women is all about getting LDS women the male-only LDS priesthood. Kate Kelly, with supporters in tow, has unsuccessfully attempted to gain access, physical access, to the LDS general priesthood. Meetings held every October and every April. John DeLynn, in addition to hosting his Mormon stories, has said publicly, quote, I consider myself to be an unorthodox, unorthoprax Mormon. I believe in many of the central, non-distinctive moral teachings within Mormonism, meaning he concurs with the moral teachings that come with, that are non-distinctive to other churches, but either have serious doubts about or no longer believe many of the fundamental LDS church truth claims, end quote. John adds, I will not be resigning my membership. Uh, I love the church too much to resign from it. My biggest hope is that this goes away. Well, from what I can tell uh, about the LDS brethren over the years, uh, as we talked about last week, um, they have arranged a court for Kelly on the 22nd of June, and I think they delayed Dellens to the 29th. We have had emails and in-person questions about this, so I want to respond for the record here on the air about my opinion, because we've been asked. First, Kate Kelly of Ordained Women. Theologically, I think her request for priesthood is absolutely ridiculous, uh, not because she's a woman, but because there is no priesthood in existence uh, that the LDS claim to exist. Anyone who is a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, male or female, by the way, is a royal priesthood bearer uh, with Christ as the high priest. So uh, Kate Kelly is trying to fight for some position as a, as a priesthood bearer that she already has if she is a believer in Christ, uh, essentially with Christ as the high priest. Uh, so her ambitions are moot, but oh, Sister Kelly wants to bear the uh, non- Biblical LDS priesthood. Well, that's another story. All I can say is the LDS church, the brethren, are responding the way any top-down, authoritative, male-dominated institution would respond as a means to retain control. They will get rid of the squeaky wheels and listen closely. They have every right to do it. You know, they do. They're the leaders of this church. This is what the organization believes. They have a right to excommunicate people who, who I don't know who... Kate Kelly thinks she is to be in the institution, fight against it, and not expect to be kicked out. You know, if you own a company and, and you're selling widgets and someone says, I don't like widgets, I want to turn them into gidgets, you're going to get fired. You know, if you belong to a church and there's a leadership that you have sworn that you will follow and believe and you are going against them, you should expect to be excommunicated. I'm frankly surprised if Sister Kelly didn't expect to be excommunicated, to tell you the truth. I really don't know what it is in people who have gotten themselves to believe that powerful multi-billion dollar institutions really care about little individuals' perspectives. They're little 20-person armies that go up to the gates and say, we want our rights. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Kate, they don't care one whit for your demands. And um, to be honest, neither do the vast majority of the members. The members like authority, they like the brethren to take charge, and they like them to get rid of, I would say probably, I would bet probably 95%, maybe more of the LDS church females don't want the LDS priesthood. So what is this all about, okay? Then there's John. 
Now, John is a friend of mine. I love John Dellen. I personally care for him, and I think the work he does in Mormon Stories is very good. He does a great job. But John, like Kate Kelly, has also made the mistake of thinking that he can speak freely and publicly about doctrines that are core to the LDS faith and remain accepted and welcomed in the church. It's not going to happen, my friend. And so the question I have for both of these well-meaning people is why would you want to remain in an institution that you essentially don't agree with? What's, the, what, what's going on here? It happens quite a bit, really, with the church. And what it is is I love the church. I love my membership in the church. I want to change everything. But, you know, so they're, they're, they're torn, essentially. I just wish people like John and Kate and all the disaffected Sunstoners and, uh, and, and, and Dialogue Magaziners, all the intellectual left, would have a real encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ culminated in spiritual regeneration. And they would, you know, if and when they do, they might continue to try to reach the LDS, but they won't give a rat's rear end, really, about what, about remaining inside and trying to change things like this, because they'll see it for what it is, a soulless religious corporation, to tell you the truth. Got an email, a sad email, from somebody asking me what I thought about Jared Michael Paget. He's a straight arrow kid who had a fascination with guns, planned a career in the military, and was deeply devoted to his Mormon faith. And he went into a uh, school and he shot it up, I guess, and, took, and his own life was taken. Uh, it says in the article, Earl Milleron, a close friend of Padgett's family, said Jared planned a career in the military, was a devout Mormon, and was ordained a deacon at the age of 12. He was so dependable at church, Milron said, that the bishop appointed Jared president of the deacon's quorum. So uh, his father never told me he had any worries about Jared, and it goes on to talk about how he went in Portland, Oregon, and he uh, killed one student, and then he was killed, and I think he shot an officer as well. And people are saying, you know, look at this. But you know what? Let's be fair. We got to be fair. It happens in every, every walk of life. We live in a dangerous, tough society. Kids are really disaffected, and it's going to happen in the Mormon faith. I'm not sure that this reflects so much upon his faith. The Mormon church doesn't teach kids to shoot things up, uh, and I'm not sure it's because of all the pressure he felt in the Mormon church. It has very good youth programs and things like that. I think the kid was disturbed, and he shot things up, and he happened to be a Mormon. But what was troubling is the mother's response in the paper. This is what it said. The parents had divorced, and it was hard on his dad. His dad didn't see any violence coming. His mother said Jared knew that he was loved, and she has no regrets as to her parenting. <laughs> now, that's the Mormon stance. That's what you would get from it. We, I just thought he was raised perfectly. There's no, that's something to really look at in the article, in my opinion. All right, with that, let me invite up our guest tonight. We have two guests that are going to join me right now, and uh, right now we're going to meet... Um, Adam and his wife, Hannah. And then after that, Adam and I are going to sit down and have a chat. Come on over, you guys. Act like you love me. <laughs> We're looking at Derek, I guess. There we are. And this is Hannah, and this is Adam. And I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourselves and just tell the audience... Um, about you two, not what you and I are going to talk about necessarily, and then we'll get into that. Go ahead. <laughs> My name is Hannah. Um, we're from Minnesota, and we've been married three years. Back in March, it was three years, and I work at 3M. I work in the research lab there, and 
We're expecting our first child. Yay! <laughs> Little Sean. Or Seanette. Shawnee. Shawnee. Shawnee, yeah. And how did you guys meet? We met at our church. Um, his grandparents actually have gone to my church for a long time. I've known his grandparents my whole life and yeah. then never knew him. And then he started coming to church with his grandparents and we met there. So. Very nice. Now, uh, married three years, met at church, involved in worship. Yes. Yeah. And uh, you do that with your sister or just with the church? Both. Um, well, my sister and I, we sing together. We have our own little music that we do. We write our own music and awesome. stuff. And then we are both involved in the music ministry at our church. Fantastic. And then Adam, why don't you just tell us a little bit about um, uh, what you do? Sure. Express. Oh, sure. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I started out um, actually uh, working when I was 14. My uncle owns a hardware store uh, in the Twin Cities. And I got out of hardware retail, got a lot more into fashion. Um, so I've been a co-manager working with Express Clothing Store in the Twin, Twin Cities for about three and a half years now. Well, excellent. We're gonna excuse uh, Hannah right now and Adam and I are gonna sit down and talk about what he is doing and uh, what we can expect in the future from this young man and his beautiful wife. Thank you so Thank much, you. Hannah. <laughs> All right, brother Adam. Tell us about, th this is an interesting story and Adam uh, contacted us by email and then we had some phone conversations and when I heard about uh, kind of the thing that he's bringing to the table in the Mormon Christian debate, I thought it would be worth it to have him on and talk about him about, uh, about what he's doing for a minute or for a while because he's reaching into an area that I think is significant and we'll get to that in a minute. But Adam, why don't you share with us your religious history, what happened with you and then how things kind of unfolded in your religious life. Okay, sure. Um, well, <coughs> born and raised in the Twin Cities, Minnesota. Um, my family came from uh, Lutheran backgrounds on my father's and my mother's side. Um, so I was actually uh, born into the Lutheran church. I was baptized as an, as an infant in the church. Um, we attend, I attended Sunday school. Um, our family typically went every Sunday. Um, my grandparents had a, had a real conversion experience um, about, over about 30 years ago, actually. So they became uh, non-denominational actually, and um, they've been going to the church that we've been going to for quite a while now. Um, but uh, what, what happened then is I, I had a, a crisis of faith back in uh, 2002, I would say. Okay. So. And why you were Lutheran? Lutheran yes. Yes. And what was, was that about? Well, I, you know, growing up in the, growing up in the church, um, I had realized that it was a, you know, the Lutheran church did, does an amazing job preaching the gospel of the Lord and I really had a passion for that uh, through Sunday school. And what happened actually was um, my parents had got div gotten divorced in uh, 1994. And since then, my mom had gotten remarried and actually switched us over to uh, temporarily to a Presbyterian church and then actually switched again to a Methodist church and then back to a Lutheran church. Um, so I had, I had, we, have, we had kind of church hopped actually for a little while, and it was around that point when finally, um, with my dad, we had taken a, a trip here, a vacation to Salt Lake City um, here, 
And while we were in Salt Lake City, we, only, we were only here for about two days. We only stayed here for two days. We had a trip around, around west, so we drove through Yellowstone and everything. But while we were here in Salt Lake City, um, I actually, we got a tour of Temple Square downtown. And while we were on this tour, um, I was 15 at the time, and I was a, the summer in between eighth and ninth grade. And what happened actually was, um, as we were getting a tour of Temple Square, before that, I was sitting in the back seat of our van, and we had one of those Fodor, however you pronounce it, uh, tr Utah travel books in the back seat of the car. So I had my CD player with me and everything. I was listening to music. I got tired of listening to a f you know the two CDs I owned back then. So I pulled out the the travel book, and you know there was a section called the Mormon Pioneers, and I, I read through it a little bit. I was a little pretty confused with a lot of things, um, but after. After reading a little bit through it, we went to Temple Square and got a tour. And this is when it really changed everything. Um, there were two sister missionaries. One of them was from Austria. The other was from Hawaii. And we got a tour. And, you know, I remember being in the North Visitor Center. Um, right after we had seen the Christus statue, we went to the, the, the main level, and our family was sitting down around a lot of comfy chairs. And we were all sitting down, and the sister missionary asked us if we wanted a copy of the Book of Mormon. And I remember my dad saying no. And you know, I thought, in a way, I thought it was a good decision at the time, but I didn't really know why he said no. So afterward, um, I had asked him, so uh, what exactly do Mormons believe? You know, this is after the tour. It didn't really answer anything for me. Um, and you know, he said, well, you know, when, you know, I'll tell you a little bit more about it later. You know? And so we continued our trip and came home. OK, stop for one so, second. Sure. Adam. When you were Lutheran or through your uh, traipsing through the church hop of Presbyterianism and Methodism and different, uh, we, when we were talking earlier, you said you believed you were born again. Now, I thought that's what you said. Is that true? Yes, that's true. Would, uh, that was, a, that's definitive. There was no question about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ spiritually. Correct. Okay, yes, so I... what we're hearing is a story of a young man who um, was a Christian, spiritually reborn, spiritually regenerated, maybe not steeped in the faith, he's young, he's, you know, but still spiritually regenerated. And that plays into this story in a couple different ways. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And what had happened was that ninth grade year, I st still didn't get really the answers I wanted as to what Mormonism was. So I started my ninth grade year, I was in my English class in junior high. And I had met a, a girl named Mallory. She was a Mormon. I found out through a friend that she was a Mormon. And instantly, I, you know, I had liked her. I had a little crush on her at first. There's always a and girl involved. <laughs> always! <laughs> okay, sorry. And, no, it's okay. Um, what, what had happened was um, that those feelings dissipated, and I had realized I was very interested in the, in the LDS church. And I really didn't know why at first. But um, I asked her for a copy. I, I wrote her a few letters um, only pertaining to, to the church. And I requested a copy of the Book of Mormon. Now, usually it's the missionaries coming to you asking, offering, offering this. But I had, I had already known um, that the Book of Mormon existed, and I wanted to read it for myself. And so I got a copy of the Book of Mormon. And I was reading in the testimony of Joseph Smith in the beginning pages of the Book of Mormon that it, it gives his... Um, you know, a little bit of the account when he was, you know, met with Moroni, and I had, I had learned that Joseph Smith claimed to have seen the father and the son in a vision, both bodily, you know, in bodies, you know, tangible as a man's, 
And what Joseph Smith said, he's, you know, he said that the Lord had revealed to him that all of the other churches were corrupt. And so I learned Joseph Smith had said that he saw the Presbyterians, the Baptists, and the Methodists contending against one another, and there was so much confusion with that. Mm. And that resonated with me mm. because I grew up Lutheran. I didn't believe that the Lutheran church was the only true church. I had, you know, I didn't, I didn't believe that at all, but I believed that I had found the Lord, you know, in the church that I went to, we believed in the Bible. I believed that the Bible was, you know, without error. And when I read the testimony of Joseph Smith, it very, very much resonated with me because I saw that in my own life. I was being taken to church after church, Presbyterian, Lutheran, and I was curious, are, you know, why all, of these, why all of these churches, why are we going to all these different ones? Is there something about one that is better than the other? And I started, I started empathizing with Joseph Smith a little bit because mm. I started, you know, he was about, you know, claimed to be 14 at the time when he saw the first vision and I was 14 at the time. And I said, look, I can really relate to Joseph Smith. Mm. There, there is so much going on with all these churches. Mm. Which one, which church is the true church? Mm. So my, my interest in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was mostly because, you know, I had already found my walk with Jesus Christ and I, you know, I, I knew him and had a relationship with him. But the thing that attracted me most about the, the LDS church was that it claimed to be the true church. Mm. So if I, if I thought, well, you know, there's so many churches competing, you know, mm. for membership, for, for anything, you know, and they all claim the same Christ, mm. but yet they're competing with each other. Mm. I want to be a part of the true church. We got to stop for one minute. This is amazing. It's really, and Derek, where am I? That one? I should look at the light. Uh, you know, this is an amazing insight. It might not mean much to some of you, but listen, we have a young man here who's telling us, you know, what he experienced as a believer. And so what can we learn from that for parents raising kids? Should a parent, and I would strongly suggest that parents learn from this, and instead of saying to their kids, the Presbyterian, we're Presbyterians, we'll always be Presbyterians, Presbyterianism is the way, to say we're a Christian. We go to the Presbyterian church. If you want to go to the other one's fine. There's not much difference between, it. don't make it an issue. And, and we can see some of the fallout and who is waiting in the wings to grab people up like this when they have such doubts. Okay, Adam, sorry, continue. Oh, it's okay. Um, well, what, what had happened actually after that point was I started, I took the Book of Mormon home and I began to read it. Um, I looked very closely at all the pictures in the front of the Book of Mormon and I, I just, I got it in my mind. I, I started getting really enmeshed with, the, with the, the LDS mindset. I started familiarizing myself with new terms. Um, I started reading the Book of Mormon and I didn't even get past the Book of First Nephi um, er, sorry, and Second Nephi, where I read, I read the verse in there that said, um, you know, a Bible, a Bible, you know, you know, pretty much calling those who only believe in the Bible as the word of God, a fool. Mm. And I said, you know, a fool is one who believes that we have a Bible, but we have no more Bible. And that's what it says. So I looked at myself, I looked at the Bible that I did read and try, really tried to read, and then I looked at this other book that I now had, and that was the first time that I said, the Bible is not enough. Mm. And I said, the Bible is not enough. And I started reading, reading into the Book of Mormon, highlighting and highlighting. I um, went to the uh, nearest Christian bookstore, actually. 
Um, it was Northwestern Bookstore, and I actually bought a Bible case, a green Bible case with a, with a fish on it, and I carried my Book of Mormon in that Bible case, wow. brought it to school. I read it every day during my lunch break, during homeroom, before I started class. I was mem memorizing Book of Mormon verses. Um, when I came home, I neglected my schoolwork, and I pretty much um, shut myself in my closet, literally, and read the Book of Mormon for hours and hours. My grades suffered for quite a bit. And this, this lasted, um, the season lasted about nine months. Um, my parents had no clue during this time that I was doing it. In fact, I was still attending my Lutheran youth group mm. at, at uh, Calvary Lutheran Church in the cities. And I was actually telling the youth group that I was trying to witness to Mallory, who was a Mormon. I was actually, I told them, I, I lied to them. And I said, look, I'm trying to reach this girl. But really, I was actually being very much influenced by it. Adam, before you move on yeah. in the story, could you articulate for the audience, what was the, how could you describe the spirit that was moving you during that nine month period, that voracious spirit to read the Book of Mormon and to find out? How does it differ? Does it differ? What, can you tell us what was going on? Sure. Um, I would say two words that would really describe how I felt during that time was um, passion and familiarity. Um, I would say I had a huge passion to want to know the truth. That was the bottom line. I knew that Jesus Christ was the son of the living God. I, I knew that the Bible was, was incorrupt and I, um, I, I had that foundation. And so what I thought was that I was just adding to this foundation that I already had actually. So the familiarity, what I mean is that I already believed in Jesus Christ and I turned the Book of Mormon over on the back cover and says the church of Jesus Christ in larger print. And then I started to realize, you know, the Lutheran church is named after Martin Luther. Mm. Methodist church is, you know, followed by, you know, John Wesley's uh, concepts. And I figured, you know, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that's Christ's church. Mm. And I, you know, the familiar terms really, really caught me. I started reading the Book of Mormon and it read exactly like the Old Testament. Wow. It much like the Old Testament. Mm. And then as a matter of fact, reading in, a lot in uh, second, second Nephi, uh, much of Second Nephi actually um, is taken straight out of Isaiah. Mm -hmm. And I started reading under the, the subtitles um, for the, the headings for the chapters of Second Nephi, and then it would actually say, compare Isaiah chapter three, mm -hmm. compare Isaiah chapter four. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, it wasn't until a while after, I actually went to Isaiah mm -hmm. and word for word, the Bible was in the Book of Mormon. How did you do that? How did you do that? <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Exactly. So this is really an intriguing story because we're getting a first-hand glimpse into a young man who was confused by his mom jumping around to churches and him seeking and him finding, resonating familiarity of the Book of Mormon and how it echoes and mimics his biblical understanding of the Old Testament and using Jesus' name so we're still, we're still pretty strong in the counterfeit, right? Very, very okay. strong, Keep absolutely. Going. Yes, so immediately I had told my mom that I was trying to witness to this Mormon girl, Mallory. I lied right up front. So she promptly went to the nearest Christian bookstore and bought me a copy of Mormonism Unmasked. It is by Sandra Tanner, is one of the authors to that book. I read it and I got through the first couple pages and I couldn't read any more of it because it, it was definitely saying that Mormonism was not what it claims to be. Mm. I was very offended. I really let offense get to me. 
And it was because of the feelings that I had gotten based off of reading the Book of Mormon. I believed it, and I believed it so much. And it was interesting during that time too, it was around September 20th, 21st, 21st, that I was starting to get this. And I was reading in the Book of Mormon introduction, that's actually the same dates, you know, in 1823 to 1827 that Joseph Smith claimed to meet with the angel Moroni and then was able to obtain the plates. Mm. And so to me, it was, it was very personal. Um, I felt like I had a long lost friend in Joseph Smith. Mm. And I felt like I had a friend who, um, that I could really trust what he was saying about the Lord. And wow. so this continued through the months, through the winter of 2002, and through the spring as well. And so I had, I started reading, I started, you know, writing Mallory uh, a few letters, and I asked, is it true that Mormons can't drink Coke? Is it true that, you know, the virgin birth wasn't really a virgin birth? Mm. You know, and she would say, of course we can drink soda, you know, and of course we believe in the virgin birth. And so I was like, okay, okay. So it squelched my immediate questions, surface level questions. And then I started having another, another question. And that was this, something really profound that our, our pastor back home said. He says, I believe in the Bible, the whole Bible, all the way from Genesis to maps. Very profound. Obviously, the book of Revelation is the end of the Bible. But you, in many of our, in many of our Bibles printed, you see a large section of maps in the back. Um, they run from Old Testament through the New Testament, and it pinpoints geographical locations where biblical um, incidences actually took place. Now, we didn't, I flipped to the Book of Mormon in the very back of the Book of Mormon, and there was a very, very large index that took up about a third of the book, of course, you know, and there, was, there were no maps. And, you know, immediately, I'm, I'm very into geography and maps. I carry maps wherever I go. I, you know... And I'm like, why are there no maps in the Book of Mormon? I couldn't figure it out. Mm. And so I started doing some research. I asked Mallory about it, and she was like, you know, the, the Book of Mormon lands exist. They're in North America. You know, you just have to have faith that these things are true. And so finally, I started looking on, on the computer for more answers. At this point, I was looking from every angle because I, I knew that the church was true, but I wanted to just see what was out there because I didn't want anyone to tell me that I could only look at this, what was faith promoting, but that I couldn't look at this. So I actually researched it out for myself. I, I got onto um, uh, Jeff Lindsay's website. Um, he's kind of an unofficial uh, Mormon apologist uh, from Wisconsin. And I got into his website and he gave a lot of different theories about where the Book of Mormon took place. You know, um, for example, one issue I had was on the Hill Cumorah, where hundreds of thousands of the Nephites were killed why haven't there been any steel swords, chariots, bones found on that hill when, when only about 1,600 years ago, the largest battle in the history of this continent was fought there? And yet, the LDS Church has built a Hill Cumorah Visitor Center, and right there, right there on the end, they, they have it mo the, side of the, the side of the hill mowed very nicely. You know, I was wondering, <laughs> why can't I go there and see the stone box in the hill. Please, please, like, why hasn't the church released breaking news? All of the stuff has been, you know, has been found. I mean, this is a very, very just, you know, it's, it's nothing that is super, super deep that you can't understand. It just takes a level, it just takes common sense to realize that, hey, there is something that's not quite right about this. Mm. You know, and, and then I, um, 
It was about a nine month process actually. And uh, in May of 2003, um, the Lord actually started giving me a few dreams that I had in the night, um, revealing himself to me and then actually showing me that the LDS church was not true. Mm. Um, I had a dream where I was walking out in the front yard actually um, at my mom's house out, out in the country and I saw Joseph Smith in the dream. Everything was in black and white and he was in his traditional, traditional outfit and he just, he went like this and said, come here. And I said, well, okay. You know, I knew who it was and I said, come here. And, you know, so I came and he, he turned around and he started just walking really quickly through this woods and then there was a cabin there and he said, I wanna show you something that I had. This is how I really translated the Book of Mormon. And so I walked into this cabin and I walked, I walked in there and immediately the glass of the windows shattered. Um, everything got dark and then um, immediately everything went to color and I left, I left outside this cabin and it was just bright. It was just colorful out there and I, I was just, you know, still having this dream and then, you know, I just, I heard a voice say in the dream, you know, this is me, this is the truth. Mm. You know, follow me, not Joseph. Mm. And it was really a Jesus versus Joseph at that mm. point. Um, I didn't e immediately give it up though mm. because I had had my testimony you know, as it, it says in Moroni uh, 10, verses 3 through 5, you know, just paraphrasing the uh, verse 4, but, you know, if you ask God, the Eternal Father, through the Son, ask him if these things are not true, he will reveal the truth of them unto you. It was interesting. I didn't realize it until later. It actually says, um, ask if these things are not true. Yeah. Now, a lot of Mormons like to point that out and say, look, this is the verse that you need. You'll feel the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost, as they say, um, giving you a burning in the bosom. It's this feeling that you just say that you just know without a doubt that the church of Jesus Christ is the Lord's one true church. You know without a doubt that Joseph Smith is his prophet, that the Book of Mormon is true, that Jesus is the Son and God the Father is the Eternal Father. And I had had a testimony of all five of those, but what was very amazing was if you get really into the wording, it says, ask if these things are not true. So what I had done at first was I prayed and I said, God, just say, is this is true, is this true? And initially I felt him say, well, yeah, this is true. I just, it's just this feeling. You get very, very good feelings with this. Everything feels so great. Mm -hmm. And then I had actually, you know, in my prayers, I would, every single prayer I prayed through those nine months, I, I would say, Lord, thank you so much for sending Joseph Smith as a prophet. I thank you so much that the church is true. I thank you, Lord, that you've shown me the truth. And then finally, it took so many months for me to finally say, ask in prayer. I actually prayed that prayer in Moroni 10, mm. 10, and I actually said, Lord, show me if these things are not true. Mm. And I actually read it. Wow. And so praying with those words in the Book of Mormon, it's like you know, realizing it's not true. Mm. I, it was a wake-up call to me because I realized that it was not true. But after these dreams happened, I actually started to go a little bit deeper into, into Mormon doctrine. But during this whole nine months, I, I, I've got to say that I had believed through and through the doctrines of the LDS Church. I was not a member of the church. I was never baptized, but I was about a month away from being baptized a member. Mm. I was so adamant about being a Latter-day Saint that... I had um, talked to Mallory and actually had her talk to her father, who was a bishop at the, the local ward, actually. I, I said that I couldn't meet with the missionaries there because my parents would probably find out. 
but I was gonna be secretly baptized. And then I would just lie and say that, yeah, I had their permission to do that, and I didn't know if I could actually do that. But I had had her give me a tithing envelope, and I had my first check that summer that I had worked $26.10, my 10%. I put it in that envelope wow. to the church. I was ready. I was ready to go. And what I, my plan was is I was going to move out here uh, to Utah after I graduated high school. I really wanted to go to Brigham Young University um, go on a mission to Norway. Norway. I was crazy about Norway um, all through growing up. I wanted to go on a two-year mission, come back, um, you know, meet the girl I was going to marry, be married in the temple and sealed for time and eternity. Um, I wanted a lot of kids. I wanted a lot of kids. And, um, and what I wanted to do was actually work my way up in the LDS church. I wanted to become a bishop. And I wanted to become a, you know, a mission president. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, I just wanted to work my way up. I wanted to be on the quorum of the 70s. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is how dedicated I was. I was in this for the long run. I was so, not in at surface level. I wanted, to, I wanted to be dedicated. So we're having insights into the mindset of a young man who, who came to uh, believe Mormonism was true, was going to be baptized, uh, and, uh, and then the, uh, the crack started showing up. Now... Uh, Adam, will you tell the audience um, how can parents, how can people who are investigating, what can we do as Christians, in your opinion, to keep this from happening? Because it's happening all the time. We just don't, you know, we, we have, we're fortunate you didn't do it, and you're here to tell us. Because there's so many guys at BYU right now who can tell the same story, but they're members and they bought into it. What sure. do you think? Well, yeah, I, I would have to start with saying my, the fir- very first reaction to, of both of my parents to what had happened. Um, when it all came out, it was not on my own. My mom actually found, I had copies of the Book of Mormon. I bought a triple combination. I had a three-ring binder that I printed sheets off from LDS.org, and I was going through and memorizing doctrine every day. And my mom found the stash of books in my backpack, and I had, I had written in the journal I can't wait to be a Latter-day Saint. I feel like I am a Latter-day Saint already. She came outside when my brother and I were building a fort out there, and she took all the books and just whipped them down in front of me. And she said, you know, if, you, if this is the life that you want, you're just screaming at me, if this is the life you want to live, I won't be a part of it, because this is dangerous. Do you know, realize that you're about to join a cult? Mm. And it was then that I compl- immediately shut off from that, mm. immediately shut off from her, and that's when I, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a Mormon. Mm. I, I, I want to do this even more now. So how because, should she have handled it? Well, that's the thing, because um, she eventually came to my dad when she was dropping us off at my dad's house, and we got out of the car. I didn't, you know, speak the whole way or anything like that, and my mom approached my dad saying, Jay, look at what our son is getting into, and this and this and this, and, you know, I want him to burn those books, mm. burn those books, and... So my dad had no idea what had happened. And then finally, you know, it kind of slowly kind of came out of me that day. I kind of talked about it. And um, she forced me to go downstairs. And I grabbed all of these journals, all the books that I had, copies of the Book of Mormon, the very first copy I had, and made a fire in the fireplace downstairs and burned them because I was forced to. Mm. And that was the hardest thing, letting go of that, because I had treasured that for so long. And my, my dad, you know, didn't really know what to say based on her reaction. 
something that my dad told me that I will never forget that actually really, really helped me out mm. is he said, Adam, if I would have known, if I would have known about this right away, I would have been able to help you. Mm. If you, if you would have just come to me mm. and talked about it, I, I would have been able to help you. And Why it was too you? late. I was afraid. I was really afraid. Um, uh, and, and it was just a natural, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a 15 year old. I struggled a lot with a lot of pain from my parents' divorce. Um, we didn't, we didn't go to church at my dad's house at all. It would be kind of church and Easter only. And so I didn't really know the reaction um, that I would get. But looking back now, you know, you just, you wish you could go back and just say, dad, I, you know, you told me back in Salt Lake City, you would talk to me about some of this stuff. I wish we would have had these conversations. So I don't blame him at all mm -hmm. for saying that he was very, um, very forthcoming and, um, and gentle with me. Mm. And that actually helped me uh, transition into Praise being God. saved. Conversations with my grandparents that I had had, um, them being spirit-filled and born again, um, just absolutely helped. Did you hear so, that gentleness he mentioned? Uh, you know, when we're dealing with our uh, families, gentleness and yeah. love, a spouse who becomes LDS, or someone who's left to a child, I'm telling you, the battle and the anger and the stuff, it, it draws a wedge. And I know it seems like with the tenor of our show sometimes, I'm all about that, I'm not. When it comes to my own children, Mallory, my oldest, she came around like we mentioned before, out of love, out of long suffering, driving my other children to the Mormon church and then talking to them about what's wrong with it after, keeping that relationship going, not cutting it off out mm -hmm. of anger and spite. Adam has written and almost finished with a book the book is called? It is called Almost a Mormon. Uh, the subtitle is called The Testament of Adam Domeyer. Um, so I'm mirroring, obviously, the Book of Mormon is called The Book of Mormon and Other Testament of Jesus Christ. Um, my book is called Almost a Mormon. So it is a testament, meaning a story. So it is, it's my personal story and experience. I, I hope that in the book, and I'm not telling you how to write it, Adam, but I hope yeah. in that book you will include the things that you can suggest to Christian parents that will reflect kind of our conversation here of this is how to handle it when your kids start messing because it's happening more. They got 75,000 missionaries full time out there. Man, it is an army and they're influential. Yeah, they're in trouble in some ways and they are hemorrhaging in other ways, but boy, your book could be very helpful. Listen, uh, you can get this, Tell we didn't do a graphic for this, I'm sorry, we'll do it next week. The graphic, the way you can reach Adam is www.latterdaysense. Yes, it is uh, www.latterdaysense.wordpress.com. So it's L-A-T-T-E-R-D-A-Y-S-E-N-S-E.wordpress.com. Uh, you can also email me at latterdaysense at yahoo.com. Now listen, you went through a stage of bitterness. Brokenheartedness. Yes. Tell us about that. After you discovered the truth, what happened? After I discovered the truth, um, what it, what had happened was I was still I was still conflicted when I when I burned the copies of the Book of Mormon and all that that I had. I still held on that I something in me just kept saying the church is true. The church is true. Ooh. And it was very deeply ingrained within me. Um, you know, I've heard multiple testimonies of. Um, people coming out of the LDS church and, you know, sometimes it can take years for certain things to, you know, to become accustomed to the fact that we, you know, we did not have a pre-existence, you know, even certain things like this. And it took a little while of, um, 
of um, letting the old letting the old out. And what had happened initially was that I was so bitter with the things that I had to give up, I wasn't in taking the correct teaching. Mm-hmm. So what, what happened was I was very crushed at first. It actually, you know, it was so much depression that came to me. You know, I had many thoughts of taking my life mm. and it was that deep because I was heartbroken. Mm. I was heartbroken. Um, it is not, it was never Mormons that I was frustrated with. Mm. It was the teachings that went contrary to scripture. It hurt. It hurt knowing that I had put my trust in a man that 15 million people claim is a prophet of this dispensation when that is Christ's role now. Mm. And I had to see Christ, I needed to get Christ back in me mm. um, because sometimes so many people can let go of the old and then they're so focused on speaking the truth about the falsehood mm. instead, of focus, instead of focusing on the truth. Mm. And so what I needed to do um, was I just had to realize um, that, you know, I need to let go. I need to let go of Joseph Smith. Mm. And I, I let him go. Mm. And it was, it was very hard. It was like losing a friend, mm. you know, someone that I could trust in. I, I looked up to him. I mean, I had pictures. I had gotten to the, the local Mormon bookstore, and they've got the little, the little pass-along cards. And I had pictures of um, the Salt Lake Temple, Jesus Christ kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Joseph Smith. I had him taped in my in my locker. I had I actually went to the bookstore and bought um, about a dozen copies of the Book of Mormon because wow. starting high school I was gonna start I was gonna start passing them out to people in my high school, you know, after school and things like that. Like I was ready to be a missionary before I was even a Mormon. And so what we're hearing here is this is Adam who had been into it strongly for nine months. And, uh, and how deeply it was in him, how seriously he took it. Imagine what, how hard it is for people who've been in it for nine years, nine, uh, for, for 50 years. And when coming out, it's just, like, it's just like extracting, I don't know what, it's like taking your heart out. It's so brutally difficult. So we rejoice yeah. over the fact that Adam uh, had the, um, that the Lord touched him and brought him out and opened his eyes and that spiritual regeneration that was present with him ultimately uh, led him out, in my opinion. Listen, uh, what do the LDS have right, in your opinion, Adam? What do they have right? Well, I would say the first thing that they have right is just an honest, just earnesty to want to know the truth. I think that's bottom line. I gotta give it to them. Um, They want to know the truth. Um, we diff- have a different w- means as to how we obtain truth, how we see truth, um, whether or not truth can change, be altered. Um, but I think that um, something that Mormons, you know, do right is, you know, I, I was very attracted to their family values. Mm-hmm. I saw that families could live forever, forever mm-hmm. as taught in Mormonism. I saw my, I, I thought, you know, my family at the time, um, you know, it to me seemed very broken in some ways just because of the divorce and there were a lot of factors that I was very confused. And to know that the church had a promise that families can be together forever was um, very, uh, very touching to me. And I really grabbed a hold onto that. So I really, I believe though that, um, you know, their, their stances with a lot of biblical morals, um, I feel like is something that they very do right, you know, do very right. They stand up for traditional marriage. Um, you know, and, you know, for the most part, I, you know, agree with the word of wisdom on a lot of, you know, key factors, you know, um, 
you know, um, I don't drink coffee. I, I would say that, in a, you know, I would be a terrible Mormon when it came to drinking coffee, or a terrible Mormon when it came to drinking tea, because I love drinking tea, but I would be a great Mormon when it came to drinking coffee, because I, <laughs> I cannot stand, Hannah loves coffee, but I, I cannot stand coffee. So, so I, the health code. I, I think that, you know, it's, it's just general, general things. They, they want the best for their lives. They want to live great mm-hmm. lives. And I, you know, I see the family values that they have, and I have, the utmost respect for that. Mm-hmm. When there are sometimes that a lot of uh, Christian families have a very hard time with their families, mm-hmm. I have a very hard time pointing the finger at Mormons mm-hmm. sometimes when we can't get it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes, um, you, you know, I really admire their zeal, their their passion for what they do. Mm-hmm. It's just, or, or their passion for um, for wanting to do the things they do, but the things they do themselves, you know, you just wish that passion was you know, geared in the true gospel. Sure. You know, but. Do you think uh, within the, the company of all eternity, there are Latter-day Saints who are active, faithful, who die, that will uh, live with God? I think that there will be. Um, I think that Mormonism as a church and organization is not of the Lord. Um, so I believe that one will not know Christ because of Mormonism, but I believe that there are opportunities uh, for someone to find the Lord and have a relationship to the Lord. And I think of it as, as the end, you know, when, when we show up before Christ, you know, he's not gonna be, you know, separating out, okay, the Catholics are over here, the, you know, the, you know, the Protestants are here, the Mormons are here, the Muslims are here. He's gonna ask, you know, he's gonna, gonna say, I knew you. I didn't know you. Mm. I knew you. I didn't know you. Good point. That label is going to be completely, completely taken off, mm. and it's something that we put on and we divide ourselves, or divide ourselves up on. But when it comes to the end, he's going to, you know, he's he's going to be taking those in who he knows. Sure. And I do believe that there will be Latter Day Saints out there that that really, you know, God bless their heart. They're going to church every morning. They're wanting to know the truth. They've got. You know, they've got their quad, their four books that they carry. The Bible is one of them. And my prayer is that they can pull open the first part, that Bible more often, read that New Testament and read it as a child so that they can not see it through the LDS lens, but that they can just see it, you know, read it for the simplicity that it, you know, that it, the simplicity of the true gospel contains. One of the things that intrigued me about uh, uh, Adam when we talked on the phone was, the idea he's bringing kind of a fresh view, uh, the old school ways, the, uh, what was that guy's name, Ed Decker way, uh, the yeah. Saints Alive way, the go out to Temple Square and burn their garments and, and their prophets and effigy and all these ways. Uh, this ministry is kind of borderline because we're on TV and I do get hot with people. So we do have a little bit of that flavor, but Adam's bringing in kind of a new spirit. He's a younger man. He's 26. He's writing this book. And just as we're wrapping this up, we've just got a few minutes left here, Adam. Tell the audience how your approach, what, I mean, can you see any benefit of going and screaming at General Conference? Tell us, tell us just how you sure. see it a little bit okay. differently. Um, one thing, you know, I started, I started researching a little bit more after I got saved, after I got saved. Um, uh, knew that came back to the Lord in uh, spring of 2003. I was very bitter for a long time. I considered myself an anti-Mormon, probably without even knowing it, because I was very bitter because of what I believed. And from the standpoint where I'm coming from, is that it's not just a topic. I didn't just grow up as a Christian. Mormonism interested me, so I'm gonna go out and do apologetics and speak to 
Mormons about the truth, I, I believed this with the core of my being myself. So I had to realize that I need to get rid of this bitterness because, so what I, I did, I, I started researching a little bit more. I started, you know, getting on YouTube. I watched some, you know, videos of things that ways approaches of people that, you know, like you said, at Temple Square and General Conference would do. And I've seen, you know, this, this one guy dress up in a, a, a red devil suit at the Hill Camorra and just hold out signs that say you're going to hell. And, you know, a, a few people at um, General Conference with loudspeakers, with um, shouting out, you know, your church is a lie. Um, you're, you're going to hell. You're believing a false prophet. And, um, and then you just see the streams of LDS in their white shirts, black ties, and suits passing them. Not even, occasionally you'll get one or two that'll strike up a conversation, but you'll see them, you'll see them go. Yeah. And you know, like, I know you probably heard the saying so many times, you know, people don't know, they don't really care what you know unless they know that you care. Mm. And I firmly believe that. Um, I know in um, the book, The Letter of Jude, um, in the New Testament, it does say that, you know, some you will save, um, you, pull, you know, with fear, pulling, out, pulling them out of hellfire. So I do believe that some of these approaches, as radical and I wouldn't endorse them myself as they are, I believe that, you know, in handing out a tract or something like that, you know, who know, maybe one in a one in a hundred would catch up on that and realize, oh my gosh, you know, this is where I'm going if this happens. But my approach with that would be, you know, I, I disagree with that. I would disagree with that method as far as me personally doing it myself. Um, my approach, my approach with Mormons, I would say, um, has to do with the, loving them as people because when you realize that Jesus Christ died for them too. It really changes your perspective on it. Praise God. And what I had to do, the biggest thing that I had to do is realize that I was now serving a God that does not change. Mm. Read Isaiah 43, Isaiah 46. Like one thing I would say to the Mormons is if you need to make renovations on your revelations, mm. they are not revelations to begin with mm. because you can try and cover up. You can try and, you know, you know, disagree with this, or you can try coming out and say the church doesn't teach this anymore. But when you compare all the teachings and the cover-ups and, you know, the facets of it and compare it to the simplicity of the New Testament, it's a whole different story because the gospel of Jesus Christ is simple. And you can explain the gospel to people within probably 30, 45 seconds. And so with Mormonism, you ask them to explain the gospel and it, you're gonna have to sit down for a long time. There's so many ins and outs, ins and outs to so many different avenues, so. Fantastic, Almost a Mormon by Adam Domeyer. Look for it, we'll let you know when it comes to uh, publication. Maybe we can make it available to our viewers through the show and his supportive wife, Hannah. We thank both of you for the journey that you're embarking on, coming out here and visiting with us. We pray Jesus' uh, strength and spirit upon you, Adam. Uh, the, the spiritual warfare that will come uh, will certainly manifest itself. You just keep trusting, keep your eyes on him. We know it's going to be a great uh, missional tool that God has equipped you with. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Sean. We will see you all next week as we continue on with So What Does It Mean to Be a Christian After We've Explained Soteriology here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind.
man's awake A storm's arising The dawn's awaiting Till a hundred monkeys know And I can feel the 